the real MVP is Twitter. The the people you meet on Twitter and make connections and join discords. And I think everybody I've met, just in like in general throughout my career, they're such amazing people, and I wouldn't like. I don't even imagine what I'll be doing now. Like going from like retail and bar jobs to like software engineering, talking to some of like the smartest people I've ever met in my life, and I think are just like super interesting. And they're also young as well. Like some of them are like twenty, nineteen, you know, younger, maybe a bit older, like thirties. But it's just remarkable about like the knowledge in the space. Hello and welcome to another episode of Devs Do Something. Today's guest is Degachi, an Anon Web three dev who has gone from teaching himself to code on the bus to building some of the most cutting-edge open-source tooling in the space. In this episode, Digachi walks us through his journey into crypto and his work as a dev to date. So we talk through his early learning processes and his journey doing things like launching a DEX, getting into MEV, and ultimately building cutting-edge tooling like bytecode and call data decoders. If you're interested in some nuanced takes on MEV, understanding the EVM under the hood, and how you can dramatically increase your own rate of learning in the industry, this episode is for you. Degachi's a cool guy. He shouts out some of his other mentors in this space and people that have helped him. And yeah, we're excited to bring you this conversation today. I hope you enjoy. As devs, we all love hackathons. They're a great way to boost your skill set, meet other engineers, and add to your portfolio of work. At Superfluid, we've sponsored many hackathons and decided to start putting on a hackathon of our own, the Superfluid Wave Pool. This hackathon is a little bit different though in that it's continuous, it's always open. You can submit any project built on Superfluid at any point throughout the month and have a chance to earn thousands of dollars in prizes depending on how your project stacks up. In just the last couple of months, we've seen dozens of teams build really amazing projects that run the gamut from Superfluid developer tutorials to full-fledged applications uh, to a proof-of-concept Superfluid StarkNet implementation that we thought was really, really impressive. So we encourage you to check it out today. You can learn more by going to superfluid.finance/wavepool. That's superfluid.finance/wavepool. Happy hacking! All right, so we're here today with Digachi. Welcome, man. All right. Thank you. It is great to have you here. Um, we'll get into some of your work with your call data decoder, your byte your bytecode decoder, uh, your thoughts on MEV, some yield farming stuff, and just maybe some general dev stuff later. But before we do that, I'd love to just get a little bit of information on your background and understand how you got into the industry yeah i think it's a very interesting like kind of thing because i got into it like straight out of high school so i was just working two jobs like at a bar and at retail and i had a family friend that was into stocks and he basically helped us get into that and i thought it was too slow um and then i researched and i found crypto and i kind of did that for like a year doing researching and investing while i was working at two jobs um just sort of like learning while commuting to like those jobs take like maybe 40 minutes there or 30 minutes. Um, and then, yeah, they did like a year of investing, did pretty well. And then COVID hit and then I had all this time. And then after that, I basically wanted to get an edge while investing and started diving into smart contracts to know what I was investing in. And eventually it was just like a massive rabbit hole. Um, I was really just like browsing, trying to get into coding because I had no experience. And I'll just join Twitter, started messaging some people like, hey, can I work for you for free? <laughs> and then I found someone um, called Buns. And then we started working on a project, which is now on Phantom called SoulSwap. And basically just like found a massive community in Phantom, like found the cult, uh, a whole bunch of people like Pump Dream. You know, all those people, uh, yeah, lock in. Yeah, all, I'm all like massive community. I'm like, oh wow, this is what people would say when you first get into crypto. You got to find a community and really like 
that's how you make connections. And it's, it's true. You just going to find some people that are really like, um, welcoming. And then after that, that's, that's how I got into crypto. But then I guess to where I am now, uh, it's really just like a whole journey of, okay, we built like a, an exchange and I went on to build like an NFT launch pad by myself. And then I kind of took like a month break and then did some freelancing, joined a MIV team for five months somehow. <laughs> Just kind of like stumbled across that. And that's kind of where I learned like Rust and MIV. And then stopped doing that. Um, and then I got into reverse engineering. Just because I was just still looking for MIV teams. And then I found Grog. And I saw that on Twitter, he like attacked some bot. And then the bot attacked him back. Or maybe I'm like getting that wrong, but um, that kind of sparked some interest in listening to Darknet Diaries, sort of the reverse engineering tales. I was like, oh, okay, this is really sick. I want to join kind of this like dark forest of the dark forest. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, just kind of like wanting to do what people don't want to do because it's very complex and very niche. And it just turns out it's a really challenging problem, which is also very interesting to me. So that's where I am now. Yeah. But I see, so I find your your backstory fascinating. There, I, I didn't realize you you got into this out of high school. I think what, what's so cool about the industry in and of itself is that if you do exactly what you what you said, and you you find a community, and you're just willing to like out in the open provide useful stuff, like you you've you've, you've like written a lot of articles, you've built lots of useful open source things. People respond to that, like. It allows you to get embedded in these ecosystems pretty quickly. And I think you've done a great job of that. What, what was it like working with teams for the first time? Did that, like working with that MEV team, did that help you a lot? Like, like what was it like finally having this multiplayer experience after just researching? You said, I think I saw you, you, you have a tweet recently about how you used to code on the bus or something like that on, your, on the way to your jobs. Uh, what, what did that feel like to jump from that? Like coding on public transportation to working with like, super fast paced high quality dev teams yeah it's a very massive jump um because i was i've always been like a an independent sort of builder not really working with people um building my own architecture etc but joining into a team where people are much smarter than you and know a lot more especially experience wise because i've only been coding for two years then it's kind of crazy it's a massive change in dynamic because you have to kind of like add stuff to a massive reaper and really learn it really quickly. Um, but then if you get stuck, they can always help you sort of simplify things and help you mold sort of the, the knowledge of the, yeah, of what you're trying to build. And then it kind of sticks with you. Uh, so all like the core principles I've learned sort of now come from that MEV team of like, okay, you have this really complex system, but, how are you going to build this? You got to simplify it to like the bare bones minimum. Okay. How does this work? Why should we do this? And then kind of expand on that. So yeah, it's, it's easy to get clouded, but if you like make it simple, then eventually you can build whatever you want, I think. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's interesting about you is this was like, it sounds like this was your first foray into programming in general, right? Like you was Solidity your first programming language along with, along with like maybe JavaScript and Rust? Yeah. Uh, it's a weird sort of career. I, yeah, I started with like JavaScript and C++, but uh, that didn't last for long. Um, so really I think Solidity was my first language. Um, yeah. And then I kind of go into JavaScript for front end and then just went into Rust. So basically my, my languages are just like Solidity and Rust, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you're a big fan of Rust, right? I've seen you write a lot about Rust. Yeah, man, I love Rust. I think it's an amazing language. Uh, super fast, very secure. Uh, I really like the syntax and the unique sort of uh, concepts in it with ownership and borrowing. Um, I think those are really helpful. Do you Have you written any smart contracts in Rust on some of the other chains? No, but I have been approached to, to do some stuff on like Cosmos, um, Solana. I even tried Aptos. Thank God I didn't get into that because um, that just crashed. But... I was thinking of it, but not. Nah. I think just like bots and everything else, to be honest. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, 
there are a lot of incentives, I think, to to learn Rust for people in the space, especially people that want to get into front running and searching and all this stuff. Um, so maybe actually, so we, we were initially going to talk through, I think, some of your EVM reverse engineering stuff first. But maybe what I'll do actually, because we're kind of on this topic of Rust and running bots, mm-hmm. maybe I'll just ask you, like, what's your take on MEV after spending time with teams like like how do you view its role in the space like what what i think about is that it's kind of like formula one for crypto and that it's creating all these incentives for people to learn about like the evm at the low level to develop new assembly languages like like huff has been something people have like basically created and promoted really as a tool for building these low-level systems and um understanding how things work at the lower level. Like Huff is amazing for understanding how low-level systems work, right? Mm-hmm. And MEV requires you, if you want to be competitive, to learn how the EVM works. Like you're learning, you're basically giving yourself a really, really good computer science education yep. and earning money in the process. Like how, how do you see all that? Am I am I off there or do you see it differently? No, I think you're spot on. The I think MEV was my gateway into sort of what I'm doing now with like compilers, reverse engineering, distributed systems, you know, building bots and all that stuff. So I think crypto is really an amazing place where you learn so much in such a short amount of time. So all intertwines, but yeah, Mevis, Mevis fun. Um, I wouldn't say there's like good and bad Mev and it also depends how you use it. Uh, I guess if you want to do like yield farming, what I want to do soon, um, you can use like front running, for example. Like, let's say um, there's like a whale about to sell, you know, a massive amount, or you see them like exiting a farm and about to sell. You could front run that and sell before them just so, you know, you don't lose, like go to zero basically, <laughs> um, which is like detrimental to him, maybe. Uh, but maybe if you're a small fish, it's not really a big deal. Um, but that's kind of like, I think, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of neutral, not really bad, not really good. Um, but I think the really bad ones would be like generalized front running. Um, but also it depends how you use it. Like you can use generalized front running to sort of prevent hacks, but there's also like the other side where you're just being like completely malicious and sort of stealing someone else's strategy. For example, someone's being like a long tail sort of niche strategy by themselves in like the corner of the room, this big player, like generalized front runner just finds it and steals it <laughs> after like months of research from that small fish. Um, and just like not even really caring, just like simulating everything. Uh, but yeah, then there's also a good, arbit- uh, like good Mev I think is like arbitrage um, and like liquidations. Cause then that's what sort of forms like fully decentralized network. Don't really need like, one player to run a bot and just like take all the fees and even if it like shuts down like that bot like shuts down for a night maybe there's like a whole cascade of like liquidations pending just kind of like oh now what (laughs) so i think it formed like the basis of sort of the blockchain decentralization but yeah definitely recommend getting into it just to learn like the evm and how infrastructure works and um but like a basis of all these sort of tools and infrastructure. Yeah. What advice do you have for somebody that does want to get into it? Like, let's say that I want to get into this game, right? Let's say I'm a good Solidity dev, but I've never like, I've never, I don't know what to do as my first step. Uh, what do you recommend? Is it joining a team? Is it trying something solo first? Like, what do you, what do you? The thing with joining a team, it's very, uh, I think it's difficult. You need to be able to provide value. Um, in some way, uh, whether that can be like, okay, you're a fast learner, so they can onboard you and then you can quickly develop something. That's sort of what I did. I was lucky in that regard, but um, if you're starting from scratch and don't really have any connections, I guess, or any presence in crypto, I think just building a basic monitoring bot is sort of the initial step. Like, okay, you need to be able to track each block um, and see what that contract is being updated with. Um, and then you can just kind of do like that to begin with. Okay, let's see the updates per block. 
Um, and then I guess a future iteration would be like subscribing to certain events and then updating based off those events plus the block validation. Um, but yeah, it's just basically monitoring and then maybe hmm, sending off a transaction based off something. Uh, it doesn't have to be front running or back running, but just like sending something off. And then, yeah, that's kind of like the basis I would do. Uh, having your own like local sort of storage and just comparing that to changes on, on chain basically and setting up a mempool um, sort of scanner as well. Uh, but if, if you want to like get the whole overview of how a bot works, I've written articles about it. So that would probably be like a massive help because I wish I had that when I first started. Uh, yeah, your articles are very good and I'll, I'll definitely link to those in our show notes. But so like to give you some background in our audience, it's, I'd say it's mixed to where we have people like you who are deep into this game of, of MEV and like low level solidity stuff. We also have people that are more like just like dap devs and yeah. smart contract people, right? People that haven't really gone too deeply into this game. So it might be helpful. Can you give just like a like a overview of like what maybe a generalized front runner is and what like something like long tail is? Uh, oh, yeah. Just those are a couple of terms you threw out. I just want to make sure, like I know what they mean, but I just want to make sure other people are uh, on the same page too. So there's long tail and short tail. So short tail is liquidation, sandwiching, and arbitrage. And arbitrage we're going to use this as an example is basically just like, like a price difference from the same pair on exchange A and exchange B. Uh, you buy on the one that's cheaper, sell on the one that's more expensive, and you make profit. Uh, sort of a long tail is like a niche within those big things or within like, um, like a niche little protocol that just came out. Maybe they have something interesting like their internal exchange rate. So for example... Let's say we have like protocol A um, has like its own exchange, right? Like maybe bonding or something. Um, maybe you can like bond your token and then sell it. And then and then rebond it and sell it again, just because the exchange rates are like significantly different. Um, so that's kind of like a, a long tail. It's just something very niche that you just have to like dive into the code basically. Um, yeah. Uh, and generalized front running. That's basically uh, a bot that scans the mempool um, depends how sophisticated they are but they're basically simulating every single transaction that comes in um, seeing if it's profitable and then replicating it and then front running it and front running is just like beating it in sort of the queue in the mempool um, by gas or in some some chains require like time um, time of submission uh, yeah or like having a certain amount of share in the network to be able to like propose it first. Um, but yeah, they're very detrimental and very scary because <laughs> they just can steal anything and everything. Um, they even steal hacks. So if someone's doing like a multi-million dollar hack, they can just copy it and beat you. There goes, you know, your security expertise in 20 years gone in a, a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is scary. That is really scary. Is, is there anything... Like at the protocol level, people can do to prevent these things from from like causing damage, or is this just like the dark forest and we just need to get over it? Like, how how do you see this, like the cat and mouse game evolving over time? Yeah, I'm actually not too sure how you can prevent it. Uh, yeah, I if we're talking about like non ETH, I think it's you're gonna have to do some like specific contract stuff, like. Maybe you, you host all like the transactions for your your protocol like backend. Like that's kind of like your your cure um, that processes each one individually. Um, yeah, I'm not actually too sure. <laughs> I haven't done a whole lot of research. Well, the idea though, so I read your your post about like, I think you have a post on generalized front runners, or at least you talk about it in yeah. one of your other posts. Um, like. These are really difficult to build, right? Like this is extremely challenging. Am I? I'm, I'm understanding the difficulty level here is like it, it's extreme, correct? I don't think they're actually too extreme. Depends what you're doing. Um, if you're trying to like copy contracts, so let's say someone de like deploys a contract, and then they're setting up multiple contracts to prepare for a hack, then that's where it can kind of get like difficult. Uh, 
But ultimately, it just comes down to like, okay, what contract are they using? What are they calling? Um, let's see if I can like replace their address or my address. And if they have like tokens prepared for like I don't know, a transfer to initiate the hack, then I guess that's like a little bit more complexity at the start of it. So you just feel like, okay, do we have like extra funds on the side to get these initial tokens to form the hack that they're doing? Um, but yeah, it's really just like a whole scanning and then setting up for what they're exactly doing. So I guess you need like funds on the side or if they have like a certain NFT, then it becomes kind of difficult. Um, yeah, but I don't think it's too hard as long as you know how the node implementation works, because that's where you got to set it all up in. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely like the dark forest, right? You got to be aware that these things are out there. Uh, why? So a little bit more specific, like why did Rust become the language of choice for most of these bots? Is it, is it just performance or is it like, there's there something that's just nice about the Rust DevX that you guys all like? Like, how do you think that happened? And if I'm wrong, that most of these things are in Rust. Um, from my experience, I think most people use Go, actually, because it's the same language as Nodes. Um, but Rust has become like sort of popular now uh, because it's kind of like C++, but more secure. Um, because it's like strongly typed and, you know, you have the borrowing and ownership, so you know where your values are going to be, or variables rather. Um, and it's also highly performant. So it brings like the performance of C++ while also being very safe. You can't, it's really hard to like screw up because um, the compiler will just scream at you. So it's very easy to scale. And like, let's say you built something months ago, you can come back to it and still know what's happening and know that you can still scale. Um, so yeah, that's why I think it, it, it's pretty good. And it's just like a very good language, in my opinion. It's kind of hard to go back to any other sort of language. I love it. Are you ever going to learn? I mean, are you going to branch out and learn Go so you can get get into yeah. the generalized front-running game? Or what, what's on the docket for you? Yeah, yeah. So I haven't really done much node experimentation because of uh, um, AWS expenses. <laughs> I think they're just like too much um, to run a node. Uh, but yeah. I mean, I've learned some Go just like reading existing bots like Cake Sniper. That's kind of how I started. That one's in Go and uses AWS. Um, but yeah, I haven't really found a need to use it yet. Um, I've kind of avoided modifying nodes for the longest time. <laughs> That's why I'm building like these other tools, like reverse engineering tools, just kind of, kind of like doing it without a node. <laughs> um, but I think eventually I'm going to have to get into it. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So maybe maybe we we shift to the uh to the reverse engineering. Um so I want to go into like the call data decoder and and also the bytecode decoder. <laughs> Talk through how you built those. I think people are really interested to to hear how like you you you've approached this, but why why did you get so deeply into reverse engineering in the first place? Yeah, so again with that Grug tweet when he attacked like the Medbot um, I assumed he just decoded the entire contract and read it, scanned it with like analysis and like, oh, okay, this is like a vulnerability and an unverified contract. Let's just send some cold data to it and, you know, take the money. So that really like sparked the interest. And then I listened to Darknet Diaries of, uh, I think it's called Lisa. She's like a reverse engineer for assembly on Android apps. And I was just super intrigued by that. I'm like, oh my God, wait, I've got to get into this. And nobody was really doing it or like talking about it. I'm like, okay, it's a niche. I like niches. I want to be sort of like a lead in this. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of got into it. Yeah. Nice. And so one of these things, I think my understanding here is you got the call data decoder is a public thing. The bytecode decoder is a, is, is a private thing Yes. right now. That's right. Okay. We'll get into why that is. But maybe first, if you could talk, if you could talk through maybe like how you built the call data decoder, you have a great article on it. I'll link to the article, but I think our listeners would love to hear like, like what is, what is this thing? And like, how did you actually build this? Yeah. So how did I build this? Uh, so basically what I had to do was 
um, the main goal was to like basically decode a multi-call from Uniswap v3. And that was very challenging because I had calls within a call and I didn't know how to read any of that. So there's two different types. There's like static and dynamic types. Statics are very easy to read. It's just kind of like always the same. But dy- dynamics have a special sort of like um, encoding sort of sequence. So it goes like the offset, um, the length of how length of the array, and then basically the, the array elements. Um, so that's basically the foundation of it. And you can learn that in like the Solidity docs if you just read it. Um, and there's like a few examples, like really good examples in there. But then, yeah, the way I, I wanted to programmatically do it because I could read it easily. Um, just like, you know, doing it in comments and like doing it line by line. So I had to find some like heuristics of where, how can I like detect these dynamic types? And I guess based off these, these dynamic types, what elements there are, because each element is a static type or it can be, you know, another dynamic one embedded. Um, so if you get to like the static ones and you can eventually guess the parameters, uh, based off like their bytes. Um, so that's how I got, kind of got like the, the type guesser and I don't use anything, but the call data. <laughs> I think that was like a limitation. I kind of like to do everything from scratch and be, you know, a bit different. Um, cause I think most of the call data decoders now they all use the, the database and when they don't have the database, it's kind of like, oh, okay, shit, <laughs> what is this? Um, so I wanted like a holy grail to everything. Um, but yeah, it was basically just finding like, okay, what's the structure of the encoding like? How do we programmatically, you know, detect these sort of structures and then go from there? Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and, well, A, the, the tool is very useful, right? Like, I can see people like basically running this on their own and, and using it. I, I hope people do that. I don't know. I'll put a link to the the repo. The repo for this one's public, so I'll put a link to it in our, our notes as well. But the article, okay. if you want to understand how EVM call data works, again, I know you can read it. You said you can read it, read about this stuff in the Solidity docs, but I think the example you gave and the way you walk through it was really well done. Like the I, best explanation I've seen so far on that. Um, so, you know, that deserves some praise. But yeah. you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna get away without explaining why the uh, the bytecode decoder is is private though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so walk me through the bytecode decoder and uh, you know, yeah, a how you built uh, it and maybe why it's it's still private. How I built it. So the actual the reason why it's. Um, why it's private is because I had like malicious intentions at the start. I'm not going to lie. Um, to like attack these medlots and do what Grog was doing. Uh, it was like a small little, I think their team was like just hitting unverified contract medlots because you can easily make a ton of money from that. Cause I think they, they don't add like, um, conditionals, additional like if statements, um, to like save gas. So. Just because you can't read it in like bytecode, most people can't do it. So it's like, okay, let's save a little bit of gas, um, but like remove all our security. <laughs> uh, so that's what they're doing basically. Uh, yeah, but the re- the initial reason was malicious, but now it's just kind of like a research project. Um, yeah, uh, it's just kind of fun to build. But the way I started building it, I, I think I started building it in November. Uh, how did I start it? I think I had to learn opcodes first because I already I've been doing Solidity for like two years already, so I kind of knew how everything worked. And it's kind of like the same strategy. Okay, how do things? What are like the patterns? So you need to like pattern detection, sort of like recognition. Um, you need to just disassemble it into sort of mnemonics. So bytecode is just like numbers. Um, and then you can disassemble it into mnemonics. So like, let's say 60 is just push, like push one. Um, and then basically the push opcodes have an input. They always have an input. So that's like a, an easy thing to detect. And then you can kind of go from that and go step by step into like what you need. Um, 
But yeah. And then you go into like sort of finding all the conditionals. So jump I, even jump is, I'd say it's not conditional, but it's a, it's a way to like maneuver through the contract. And that can be different based off what's being pushed before in the stack. Um, so yeah, then you basically have to find every single sort of pathway or potential pathway. And then there's your CFG basically, um, control flow graph or AST. Um, and then there's like all the possibilities. Uh, and usually at the start of the contract, you have like all the potential, um, function selectors and you'll learn that in the call data article kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and then from there, you can find out what functions there are, what they take in, um, once you jump to like so that sort of pointer counter where like the body is, um, and yeah, you can just sort of eventually decode into something readable, uh, and find out what the parameters are, what happens within it. Like, let's say you find a function selector within that function that matches a transfer or a transfer from, so you know that that function is going to transfer. Uh, so it's basically like a whole lot of simple things combined into something very complex and seems very overwhelming at first glance. So going back to like that med sort of uh, advice, you always want to bring a complex sort of system into its very simple, into like the simplest form. Um, and that's how you can really like understand very hard things. Uh, but yeah, eventually... You just keep going up and then, uh, you keep learning like the EVM through there and then, yeah, <laughs> eventually you get to something like this. Uh, I don't want to leak too much alpha, but yeah. Yeah. Well, if one day, if you do decide to drop the alpha, I'm sure a, a, an article in the style of what you do with the call data article, people would love that. But listen, I get it. This is one giant PVP game at the end of the day. Right. So, and yeah, I think I wouldn't open source it because it would be, I think it would be very like detrimental, um, especially for like generalized front running. Um, cause then people would just, oh, and even just security in general, uh, I'm not going to say why, <laughs> but like, you know, there's all these unverified contracts and who knows how many security vulnerabilities are out there and they're always going to be there and who knows if you can decode every single contract and find every single vulnerability in each one on every EVM chain, I mean, yeah, you better watch out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So this is just interesting to me. Like as a bit of a tangent, like how, how, how adversarial are these like MEV environments? Like, like team to team, are there like, low-key rivalries that happen. I mean, we're not going to like name anybody or, or talk about specifics, but like, like how much like low-key trash talk happens here and, and like back and forth happens in this environment. Is it, 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 it has to be like, like hopefully it's in 10 years, somebody writes a book about this shit and like, like profiles yeah. some of you guys, because <laughs> it's some of yeah, the yeah. most interesting people I've ever met, you know? And honestly, I haven't even, directly met the majority of people that I've actually encountered in this space because everyone's anon, right? So I don't know. I mean, like, what's your take on all this? Um, I think it's a very fun environment. Like, going from a PVE environment where you're just building dApps and, you know, farms and all that stuff, you're just versing, like, yourself. <laughs> but in, like, PVP environment like Mev, it's, like, a whole different dynamic because, like, it's just like a game. It's really just like a video game. Like you, you just beat someone or like kill someone in the game. You type in the chat, like, yeah, <laughs> F you, <laughs> get wrecked or something. Like it took all your money type thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's really fun. It's like, it's like a video game for adults or, you know, teens, whatever age you are, um, of just like geniuses. So <laughs> it's really fun. Um, but like in the team I was in, it wasn't really much trash talk. It was very professional. Um, but I think outside of it, like in Twitter, that's where all the fun happens. And you can even see on chain, like that's where all the trash talk happens as well. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a fun, fun environment. It's very stressful, but you'll learn a lot in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's extremely interesting. I think you said a, a lot of geniuses, I think, are in it, but I think it's, 
I think it makes everybody in the game smarter, at least in regards to like the EVM and writing contracts and computer science in general. So mm-hmm. like, I think there are incentives here that are making you guys all a lot smarter. Uh, so yeah. there's something okay. about the environment, I think for sure. Like, and what's, what I find the most interesting is that a lot of the people that I've met in this game just got into like software development or crypto within the last three years, you know, like, yeah. isn't that crazy? Like the rate of learning is insane. I've, I've never seen a rate of learning like, like, I, like I see in this space where people get really into MEV and front running and like low level yes. EVM stuff. It's nuts. Yeah. It's insane. Like I would never fall. Like I was talking about doing MEV like last year. I'm like, Oh, I would never be able to get into this. This is impossible. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's not impossible. Totally. Uh, totally. Yeah. Is there anybody that you look up to in the space that you've learned a lot from that you want to call out that maybe other listeners can, can uh, try to learn from as well? Like just on Twitter or in general? I'd say within the bounds of like crypto stuff. But yeah. Um, I guess if we're talking about mentors, definitely Buns. Buns is the one that uh, sort of kickstarted my career. Um, without her, I don't think I would be where I am. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like the initial like person. But um, apart from that, I'm I'm probably like everybody I've met really like all massive help like the cult on Phantom. They're like my go-to community. I'm always talking to them. Um, you have like the Hoff community. They're amazing. I love them. They they help me with like my reverse engineering sort of pathway and stuff like that. Uh, I think the Flashbots sort of Discord was very fun to get into, like sparking some, uh, some interest in Mev. But then I think the real, the real MVP is Twitter. The, the people you meet on Twitter and make connections and join discords. And I think everybody I've met just in like in general throughout my career, they're such amazing people. And I wouldn't like, I don't even imagine what I'll be doing now. Like going from like retail and bar jobs to like software engineering, talking to some of like the smartest people I've ever met in my life. And I think are just like super interesting. And they're also young as well. Like some of them, are like 2019, you know, younger, maybe a bit older, like 30s. But it's just remarkable about like the knowledge in the space. Um, then eventually like ZK is going to be like a big thing, I think, soon. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's kind of like mind boggling, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. So you, you mentioned ZK. What are you excited about in, in terms of ZK? Have you done much research on it yet? No, I haven't. I'm too much of a a loser to understand math and cryptography. Uh, <laughs> That's what you said a year ago about, about MEV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, may, I think maybe I'll get into it. I think Tornado Cash was super interesting to me. Um, like completely anonymous transactions, like being able to like, just like uh, uh, anonymize, you know, transactions and eventually it got sanctioned. <laughs> just is it's insane um and i think if you can create more tools like tornado cash i think it would be very interesting um like environment and maybe even if they do like an evm um that's zk i know a lot of people are building it right now i wonder how like the mev game will be on that or even like exploiting contracts reverse engineering and stuff so that'll be very interesting um yeah I'm not sure. I don't know the future because I don't really know too much about ZK. And I think to understand the potential of something, you need to understand it very well at a fundamental level. Um, even with like building bots or anything, you, you need to understand everything super well to be able to like iterate and um, innovate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on the, on the topic of other tech you're excited about, so we, we talked kind of off air before we started about your interest, your newfound interest in yield farming. So do you want to talk through what you're uh, exploring there so far? Yeah, I think yield farming is going to be a fun thing to do uh, because in the last bull market, 
I know people that made, you know, tens of thousands in a couple of days. Um, it's just kind of like ridiculous. I kind of did the same thing as well. Uh, and that was all manual. So imagine in like next bull market, if you can automate this process of being able to, you know, jump between a whole list of pools, have, you know, heuristics, um, of like when to exit a pool and when to enter one or like ease off something, um, when you sleep basically, uh, so like, let's say a new protocol comes out and they have like ridiculous APR and you don't really kind of skeptical of um, jumping in this Ponzi, but, um, you set up like a bot to sort of manage your risk and capitalize on the opportunity that's available, but also attempt to like save your money better than you would in, if you were like manually doing it, oh, your internet's bad or, you know, something shut down type thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's a very good way of making passive income and testing a lot of knowledge fields. Like you can do MEV or like front running sort of whales they're about to sell, or you see someone that just withdrew like, you know, ten percent of the pool like allocation. You know something down, something's gonna happen. <laughs> so you can like front run and like go into a different pool instead. Uh so yeah, that's kind of my my thoughts on this. Um I think it's a very interesting field as well uh, that I haven't really explored. And I think there's a lot of money involved um, if you can do it correctly. Totally. Are you mostly interested in like a specific ecosystem or like just across multiple ecosystems? I mean, I know you know the phantom community pretty well, but I don't know if there's like a specific area you're focused on. I think any EVM chain, because I'm not really too keen on jumping at anything else. because I don't know, you know, the longevity of them. Um, and I think learning EVM super in depth is the most beneficial and most efficient because I know you have so many chains with different ecosystems. They're all using sort of like the same uh, node, like Geef, for example, is just slightly modified. Um, whereas if you want to learn Cosm or Solana, you have to learn a whole new ecosystem, dev environment, language, and it's just like a whole mess in my opinion like i don't know if like the time the time is worth like the time opportunity cost is is worth sort of the investment compared to just you know becoming a master at evm and hitting every single field within it and becoming you know, a super specialist i guess jack of all trades in a way mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that's rational as a calculus for where, where to focus um but besides besides yield farming zk and even some of your reverse engineering work, like, is there any other area that you just wish you had more time to explore in this space? I think I'm going to get into it soon uh, with Omnichain solutions. Uh, but I also want to work on more tooling. Um, don't know how that's going to look, but I want to build some tools that haven't been like built before. Uh, I think I'm on the right path, even though people are starting to build, you know, more decoders. Um, like I started off to, um, John Becker, he built the first open source one that I saw, um, it's called Heimdall. He's still updating it to this day. It's really good. Actually. Um, I learned a lot from him as well. He's very smart. Uh, he's a year younger than me. So I'm 21. He's 20. Uh, but yeah, he's basically doing the same thing with that. Um, but yeah, just more tooling really and maybe some infrastructure solutions. And eventually when I learn like databases and all that Web2 stuff, um, then I can start building some like complex solutions, I, I think. When are you going to slot, slot in the Web2 stuff? I think now I'm learning about databases and, you know, querying and all that stuff now. Because um, I've never really had like a reason to learn it uh, or like an opportunity to really like capitalize it as much as now um because i have mentors around me now to to help me learn um so that's that's kind of what i'm gonna do yeah i love it and you mentioned the tooling so one thing we've actually asked a lot of people that have come on is like what other tooling they wish existed you're in an interesting position where you actually want to build the tooling so i mean it sounds like you're interested in decoders as a general category but like do you have any more insight that you would be willing to share on like what specifically you'd like to build if you get the time Oh yeah, so I've gotten into like fuzzing and formal verification, all that stuff. 
I remember watching a, a, a video of a security engineer at Web3, and I forgot his name, um, but he was talking about there isn't like a black box fuzzer yet. Um, that's like super sophisticated. I think there is now, uh, but I want to build like a very sophisticated one for bytecode. So basically fuzzing bytecode, using a static an analyzer on bytecode. I think um, MythX does it. Wait, I forgot the name of that. I just want to build it just for like, you know, research purposes and expanding like, uh, expanding like sort of my knowledge. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the tools I want to build for my own reasons, but I guess for public, public tooling, I don't know, maybe some, I'm not too sure actually, but I think definitely omni-chain tools need to exist. That's kind of how we're going to like sort of bring everything together and just things to be able to scale web free to like the normies of the world. Um, cause I think everything now is super technical. And you need some sort of knowledge and like development to understand everything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're definitely right. People, people care about this UX thing a lot now. The whole account abstraction thing is big. Have you read up on any of the ERC4337 stuff? Um, oh, the account abstraction stuff? Yeah. Oh, I haven't. I think I saw like a tweet on like a multi-sig where you just need like one signer. But I don't know if that really works. Yeah, yeah. There, so there's different approaches, right? But like part of ERC four three three seven is that there's not they're not trying to. I mean, as you are aware, like when people create EIPs and want to change the protocol, there's so much resistance. Like, like yeah. J Trilly and and transient storage op codes. Like he, he's been dying on that hill for a long time, but it's just so it, it's so hard to get these things implemented, right? There's just so much back and forth because they're, they're changing the protocol. Like it's it's not an easy thing to do, but yeah. With ERC4337, it's a standard, right? And there's yeah. actually like going to be, if I'm understanding this correctly, we actually have an episode coming out on Thursday of this week, Thursday my time, Friday your time, about yeah. like it, we, we interviewed the CTO of Biconomy and they're working on building like a bundler and a lot of infrastructure for this. And with right. ERC4337, there's actually going to be this new like almost parallel mempool for oh. user operations. So like instead of you just, you know, sending your transaction directly to L1 Ethereum or to a layer two, the idea uh -huh. is that there will be this kind of like middleware la middleware layer where you uh -huh. have like a new thing called the user operation that is basically just a transaction, which is bundled uh -huh. together and submitted to like the actual L1 Ethereum in bulk, right? Like it's 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 done in a way so that people can basically subsidize gas cost on behalf of users and it, it could in theory improve UX a lot. But what I think is interesting and what I pushed our our friend from Biconomy on is whether or not this user operation pool will enable a new form of MEV in front running. Uh -huh. And he kind of said, yeah. And I don't I don't think very many people are thinking about that. So I mean, it's on air now, but all you guys who are in interested in this space, you might need to, you might need to think about this. <laughs> yeah, with any new technology comes there's new problems to think about. I'm pretty keen. The future is going to be very interesting. Uh, yeah, so excited for sure. Um, so listen, we're running up on time, but you know, a couple a couple last questions we we tend to ask. One of them is a little more like specific to you and your career and the other one's a little more general, but yeah. I guess just kind of like parting advice you have for people. Like let's, let's imagine you meet somebody else who's, you know, 18, they're on the bus reading about getting into crypto and they're maybe taking like the early introduction to solidity stuff. They're doing crypto zombies and they want to okay. get into the space. Like, do you have any general advice for that person on, on how to get involved? Um, yeah, for sure. I think this is something I give to all the people I talk to, even the people that don't even code, is just be consistent. No matter like how big of a change you're making each day, as long as you're improving, you that's that's just like a lifestyle sort of habit you need to be able to do anything, really. Um, 
So if you want to get into, you know, crypto, MEV, anything, building tooling, whatever, you just need to improve and sort of like just do something each day. And then eventually it compounds every year, two years, five. Then all of a sudden you're like one of the best. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm, I'm one of the best. I'm, I feel like I'm definitely making really good progress, but it, it's noticeable when you look back at it. Um, you really get like a sense of achievement and satisfaction. Uh, and yeah, during it's just, it's just all about the journey, really. Um, yeah. And the people you meet along the way, it's all worth it. So just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Don't give up. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And then last question, you know, as, as you think about like this space more, more broadly and sorry for that, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll repeat the question, but, um, <laughs> As you think about this space more broadly, you know, over the next couple of years, what do you hope things look like in more of the macro? Like, like what do you hope like Web3 as, a, as an industry is able to accomplish over the next couple of years? Yeah, I, I would assume or like hope that all the chains are sort of like intertwined somehow, sort of like omni-chain solutions are sort of like the norm. Um, Hopefully, like, ZK, anonymous stuff is happening. Um, I hope, like, the world is just super on board with it. Like, you know how people just ask, like, cash or card? It's like, cash, card, crypto, what do you want? Um, Yeah, I think it'll be, like, more normalized. And I'm keen to see what will happen with, like, trading bots um, and all that stuff, all those solutions. But it's really hard for me to, like, think about this. Um, yeah, because so much can happen in one year. And right now, to me, it just seems like, okay, there's NFTs, DeFi, sort of bots, you know, all that stuff. But in my eyes, it's kind of surface level um, until it breaks through into the real world at like a high scale. Um, it just kind of seems like a small video game in my eyes right now. Um, eventually, it just changed the world completely. And I think it will happen soon. Um, but yeah, just bet, just bet on the blockchain, really. Uh, like Ethereum, all the people that are building it, just make net like friends and networks, and you'll see the true value of what's going to happen in, in the future. Uh, yeah, I love it. That's a good answer. That's actually that's a more thoughtful answer than we usually get. Um, so thank you for that. But listen, uh, is there anywhere else you'd like to point our listeners? Uh, like I said, I'll link to some of your articles and your websites. But where okay. else can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Degachi, D-E-G-A-T-C-H-I. Always forgot my name. Uh, same thing with GitHub. Every social is really just that name. Um, website. Yeah, it's really good, to be honest. Discord. We'll link to all that stuff. But Degachi, thank you so much for coming on.